She's a Doctor. Hi, I'm Dr. Dovek, and she's a dietitian. Hey, I'm Hannah Schuyler, and together we are the, the Doctor Dietitian Collab. All right, Dr. X Dietitian fans, today we are tackling a very serious topic, and it is on the transfer of addictions. Mm -hmm. That is something that can happen after bariatric surgery. What is it? Why does it happen? And what you can do to get help so that you know, every day might be a, a struggle for all of us, but how can we help you to move forward and, and overcome that? And how can you even recognize if you have an issue? Right, or, or recognize it early on to help kind of halt it if possible. Exactly. So we're going to just jive right into this topic and um, specifically about bariatric surgery. So studies have shown that up to 30% one in three patients who undergo weight loss surgery end up having some kind of a transfer of an addiction. So the whole theory here is that the thought is that if you struggle with your weight, you probably had some kind of an addiction to food, um, some sort of disordered eating, perhaps it was binge eating. Um, maybe you were somebody that again, at night sat down and you just, oops, I just ate the whole thing of ice cream. And that was just part of your routine or some habit. And it was almost you were, you were dependent on this yeah. uh, for, for food. And, and food is always a tricky one because food is necessary. Food is fuel. Food you need, of course, to be able to survive. Right. And you know, sometimes as soon as it hits those receptors or you eat certain things, it just like triggers all of those feel good hormones and thoughts and, uh, you know, things in your chemical reactions in your brain. Right. It's dopamine. And it is. It does make you feel good. And we have comfort foods for a reason, you know. And, we, we and like you said, food is a tricky one because it's not something you can quit. You know, cigarettes, you can quit. Alcohol, you can quit. Um, this is why eating dis eating disordered or disordered eating recovery is so challenging. Uh, it's very, 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 very hard. And, you know, how does a typical addiction start? So first, you know, it's it's the hard thing of why, like, never smoke the first cigarette, just never do it. Or like, because you think like, oh, if I start, um, I have this this pain. And then it's like, well, all right, I took a pain pill and then I took another one. Like you have to get initiated onto it at some point. So there's always that first time. Yeah. And some of these things make you obviously feel like, oh, that was pretty good. And I have control. I'm not really quite dependent on it yet. And then you kind of get into this more frequent use where you start to experiment with it. You try it at night or in the day or like, you know, food is something that you have to eat three meals a day and all of the things in there. But next thing you know, you're um, regularly doing this 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 habit, this yeah. addiction. And then ultimately, um, there's risky usage, which is where like, okay, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but um, this is getting scary than dependence. And that's where you really don't have control. And then that is where this isn't a, this is a disease. I mean, right. a lot of these things we're going to talk about. And then you go from dependence into a straight on addiction to it. And then ultimately, the only thing at that point you'll need is you're in full crisis and you need treatment to be able mm -hmm. to, to pull out of this kind of this vicious cycle that, right. that can be addiction. And it can be so, so, so challenging um, here. And we're going to talk about the different types of addictions that exist.
So first off, obviously, there's the food addiction and you being our dietitian here and all of that stuff. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about binge eating or about disordered eating or even about certain things that certain foods that are more vulnerable or susceptible to becoming in that um, that addictive yeah. kind of a food category? Yeah. I mean, again, disordered eating is a whole branch of dietetics and there are people that specialize it and that, you know, really focus on that. And it has a lot of crossover with, you know, therapy and and that side of things. Um, you know, binge eating would be eating an excessive amount at one time, really. And some people binge and purge, mm. um, uh, but some people will just binge. Um, and people might hide it. You know, they might do it late at night. Um, you know, and, and a lot of times it does tend to be on things like cakes or cookies or chips or sodas or, you know, kind of go alongside of that. Just really those highly palatable foods mm. that do trigger that kind of dopamine response. Um, and it is. It's to the point where you you can't really stop yourself. Um, and then, of course, there's other eating disorders like bulimia, which is where you do actually then purge, mm. um, or anorexia, which is anorexia nervosa, which generally we see in people who are underweight. But you can have you know, people with obesity that also have anorexia nervosa, which means that there's food avoidance. Um, and this isn't really related. It could be, though, I would say, to this topic is um, orthorexia. Do you know about orthorexia? No. So that is – it's a newer one, and I don't know that it's actually on the DSM yet, um, but it's an obsession with clean eating or oh. healthy eating, but oh, wow. to a point that it disrupts your life. So, like, you won't eat something if you don't know where it's from. If you don't know that it's organic, if you don't know that it has this specific breakdown, you know, nutrient breakdown. And so it, it's caused a lot of problems. I would say it's in a lot of like the fitness um, things, you know, influencers and stuff like this, that whole idea of like clean eating, which is not a real thing. And it can be really dangerous, which I could see in theory, somebody with bariatric surgery having you know, starting to be like so focused on their macros and, and being so perfect that you could run into something like an orthorexia. So do you feel like after surgery, some of our patients could get this? I could see it happening in in the fact that, yes, they are focused on that like specific nutrient breakdown. And and you do start to see some of I've had people who are like, oh, I won't do non-organic produce or I won't do the not the, the non-nutritive sweeteners. Yes, the sweeteners. Um, and, um, you know, just different things like that, that it could be. And there's so much fear mongering around <sighs> food. You know, I talked about before, like the guys in the grocery stores that yell about all the products. Just yeah, there's the fear mongering them. from others. And I also think there's the internal fear mongering mm -hmm. of, oh, my gosh. I, I've come this far. I don't ever want to go back. Like, I'm so petrified of doing the wrong thing. I almost wonder if that that is – some of our patients – I mean, some of them, they see you constantly, yeah. like every week, which is great. Right. That's great if that's how you feel like you get something out of it. But I think sometimes, do you ever feel like, okay, we've reviewed this. Like you've looked. We, you like, know this information. Yeah. yeah. And people just don't trust themselves. And I think some of that could be maybe that you had some issues with binge eating disorder before and you didn't have any trust or relationship with food. And so then you take that too far where you don't trust yourself anymore 
with food and maybe you're worried that you're going to eat one of those trigger foods and it's going to put you yes. right back into the op- you know the other end of disordered eating again i think when we look at disordered eating a lot of it's two sides of the same coin you know like Yes, we have binge eating and then we have orthorexia. And could those really feed into each other wow. one way or the other? Yeah, I think so. And when we talk about this sort of this um, this vicious cycle, like you said, feeding into another. So when so we're talking about the transfer of addictions when we're experiencing addiction replacement almost. You're, you're just exchanging one for another. What you're doing is you're really you're, – you're, you're kind of trying to replicate the same positive feedback from your brain. And it's really hard to not crave that. And it can be obviously so almost physically, mentally, emotionally exhausted, exhausting, uncomfortable to make like enough sweeping changes to your usual routine and habits, making it really easy to either fall back to your original addiction or to one that might even be sometimes more dangerous. Yeah. So you have to be so careful. So when we're talking about the different types, so we, we got through food addiction, then um, another very common one is alcohol. Yeah. So particularly with our patients, the, the, the thing is people will want to know like, well, how will I be able to metabolize alcohol? What kind of effect will alcohol have on me after I have surgery? So your your stomach now, the gastric bypass is now the little tiny thigh, size of a thumb size pouch. Your sleeve stomach is about the size of a garden hose, much smaller um, in there. And it is going to undoubtedly be super fast on, super fast off. So you're especially the fast on buzz. And so when you look about driving, if you've had alcohol, sometimes you can have a few sips and actually be over the legal limit. Right. Which is which which is is scary. It is. And I think, yeah, then if somebody goes back to maybe drinking at the level that they were prior to surgery, which maybe was a, you know, not an excessive amount, but then you turn it into this and then you know, I do think that it 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 is that's that dopamine. It's something you can control in your life too when you can't turn to food, you know. And I think a lot of people end up with, you know, when they look at alcohol dependence is it's because they're unable to have a different coping mechanism that maybe they had previously. So I think that it's this this conversation is so important to be aware that I mean, you can't you think like, oh, it means I'm weak. No, this is like the chemistry of your brain. There's there's so many factors at play that you sometimes like you need consistent, intensive medical attention and help to help. I mean, like I've said, every single one of us needs a therapist, but to kind of like know yourself to be able to improve yourself and and that and that takes a lot. So knowing your habits, because that's typically what a lot of these addictions are. So there are some risk factors that show an individual might be more, again, susceptible or affected by having an addiction, like a food addiction, and then transferring it after bariatric surgery to something else. So um, I'm going to read some things from the Obesity Action Coalition. Mm -hmm. That is a really reputable site. They have a lot of evidence and a lot of the research that is done on this in our integrative health side and the psychology of this, the mental and behavioral health um, aspect of bariatric surgery. But so the one that we already talked about is having a history of eating disorders, Known food addiction or compulsive eating. Mm. How would you describe compulsive eating? That's a great question. I don't know if I know off the top of my head. Yeah, I was thinking that too. And then I think it's all in that same thing that you just... I mean, my gut tells me that it's just like 
you can't not eat food. Yeah, you're you just know? Are like, I, like you, and I think all of us have had, so this is the tricky thing about eating again is that sometimes if you're like obsessively thinking about food, it is because you are legitimately hungry and your body's like survival mechanisms and the way that you, you do things are kicking in and in that if you haven't eaten because you're like, I'm going to be good today. We've talked about this a lot. A lot of our patients will eat too little instead of uh-huh. too much. And then when you restrict it to that degree, then your body is going to make you like hyperly feel like like compulsed to um, just, I have to eat something. And I want that quick fuel, which is glucose, which is sugar, which is, and then I go down yeah. this, this whole other rabbit Spiral. hole. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have a family history of substance abuse, so of any sort, you have an increased risk of a transfer addiction with bariatric surgery. Which a lot of people have. I you know. know. It's really, it's, it's so common. Yeah. And I think that that is also part of the, the cycle that is, you know, sometimes why you turn to food for comfort in the first place is because you're in this abusive setting and, you know, your dad, your mom, they're there, they're not there, they're abusive, they're, um, you know, they're different when they're doing these drugs or food themselves mm-hmm. or or maybe, again, it was a good thing that was sort of like, again, when you were little, that's what you did to celebrate. You went to Disney and you had your treats and, yeah. you know, you just – and. So it's sort of like the genetics and the family history of it are are really significant. Now, if you drink alcohol on a regular basis, that is defined as, I would say, most nights out of the week, five nights out of the week or so. So regular consumption of alcohol before surgery is going to make you much more like to crave it. Because typically, if you're drinking regular, you're you're wanting the buzz. You're mm-hmm. wanting the good feeling, the feeling of feeling a little tipsy, warm, you know, vasodilated. But after surgery, this is a warning for some of you. Again, you're going to feel that so intensely, so quickly with such a small amount of alcohol that you will, you'll find yourself chasing that. And I think alcohol is one of the most common, if not the most common, reasons um, or most common transfers of addiction that we see. Yeah. And I could also imagine like it it could happen where, you know, you're out maybe with your friends or something and maybe they're eating a really big meal and you've eaten what you can and then there's alcohol available. So then you're like just or you're just trying to keep up with other people that Uh, haven't had surgery, which happens to everybody even with or without surgery. You have that like pressure to keep up, um, you know, know, which obviously could then lead to you want that you feel that you need that Um, exactly and even like social things like your tolerance like oh man so and so could drink they're the life of the party oh look who's here you know and then you're like all right well i'm the fun one i know that my tolerance is i can drink you know a six pack and actually you know handle it and now all of a sudden you cannot and and you know, so first of all, there's different types of alcohol if we're going to like dive into and how they affect you. So first, if you're a big beer drinker, the carbonation, you're not going to be able to, to handle it. It's going to cause a lot of discomfort. We've talked about this where the, the carbonation can, you just can't burp or you can't like pop that Tupperware container yeah. and kind of alleviate that like, oh, that pressure and that left upper quadrant of your abdomen. And so you're not going to be able to consume a massive quantity of volume. Right. In general. And then, yeah, when it's carbonated. And it's so like that, like bread, like somebody has described drinking beer as like drinking a cup of bread, essentially, uh, because it's, you know, barley and wheat. Some of them are wheat even. Yeah, that's so true. I think maybe. 
I don't know. I'm not familiar. <laughs> I've been to breweries and to run brewery tours, but apparently I, make, I retained I no information. And I I'm really not paying don't, attention. I really don't drink beer. I do not often. either. I do not drink beer. No, um, no, 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 no. I no, don't, but. Wine will get me. Wine so is. wine is another one. Now, wine, I would tell our bariatric patients, that's the trickiest one in terms of it's going to go down pretty smooth. Mm-hmm. It's still going to still have the same effects as we just learned, but it also has a lot of calories in it. It's yeah. just like, you know, obviously it's just a lot of carbs and sugars in it. And it's, I think, one of the fastest ways that it kind of slows your weight loss or even causes you to um, gain some weight, yeah. of course. And I think that's, you know, like people's diets, when they come in, they talk to you, you know, this better than me, even it's like, my diet's great. And I'm like, so what are we drinking here? And yeah. it's like, not not that much, but the wine, before you know it, it gets you. It does. Absolutely. So I would, I would suggest if you're somebody that's drinking wine and you feel like, no, I mean, I really just have a glass of wine or something. I, I truly feel like I'm in control. I'm not worried about this whole like cascade. I'm not into risky amounts or dependence mm-hmm. or addiction or crisis. I'm nowhere near that. Like, okay, like I got you. But from a weight loss standpoint, I would challenge you to try to go one month without drinking alcohol, drinking well, any alcohol or wine. And next thing you know, boom, you're going to lose weight. I guarantee it. Yeah. It'll push you. It does you. happen for sure. I know. And then you got your your hard liquor. Mm-hmm. And that is something, I mean, if you do a shot with bariatric surgery, I'm warning you, my friends, be so careful. Just be so careful. Do not drive. Do not. No. And and be somewhere safe, you know. That's a great point. So where, and especially like if you're like, oh, I really, I just want a glass, do it at home. Yeah. Don't do it out. If Especially if you have to drive, uh, do it around people you trust. Or it's the first time. Because yeah. you don't, you know, I always, I always tell people when they ask me this, like, when can I drink? And usually I recommend a year, waiting a year from surgery. And I say, but, you know, if you choose to do it sooner or when you do choose to start, have that first one at home. Because you just don't know how you are going to respond to it. No. Um, and I've, you know, been with people who have had bariatric surgery who have been drinking and they'll leave a half a glass, you know, a half a cocktail up at the bar because they're just like, that's all I can do. You know, yeah. that's it. And they know their limits because it's somebody that had, you know, been, they knew what they were, what they could handle. And they were like, yep, half a drink. And I think that um, some of you listening right now are like, I have no control. I I don't have control. And I want you to know that you're not alone. Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes it hits your lips and you get that feeling and you just want to keep chasing it. And you're in that, that, again, you're chasing that bring vibe and those feel good um, feelings and all of that sort of thing. And again, if you're used to it, and and I want you to know that you know, there's been some patients who have so bravely put it out there that... I'm I'm struggling. Yeah. And I think that's what we're we want to like we don't want to put like, you know, sugarcoat this in any way that this is a real deal and unfortunately, yes, transfer of addictions of any kind. We're going to keep going through the list so to see if you maybe some of these other ones um you can relate to and if that they do put you at an increased risk. You know, you're it's not you shouldn't feel ashamed. It's it's something that again, it's biological. It is. Yes. A lot of it. It is. And I think that we're going to put it out there that 
There are resources and there are some amazing, amazing, amazing bariatric specific therapists out there who who can help you with that. Mm-hmm. And I think that those are the best. Um, I randomly in the airport not too long ago ran into Ashlyn Douglas. Mm-hmm. And she is somebody here in the uh, greater central Florida region who does a lot of our psyche evaluations for our practice, many, many, many other surgeons practices. So she's a very busy girl when I was talking to her. And she... Also, she told me that she does ongoing therapy, and mm-hmm. um, she had the, she had gastric bypass over ten years ago herself. So she understands all of these things. So I'm not saying you have to go to Ashlyn. I, I'm sure she would appreciate that. But there's many, many, many therapists all over that you should should do that. Or if you're somebody that just needs to write down the way you're feeling, like, am I in control? Am I not in control? Like, just maybe journaling, writing it down, yeah. like, reflecting on it, and then referring back to that and be like, okay, like, just to understand your emotions. Yeah. And I do think sometimes even with that, like, tracking how much you're actually doing. Yes. Because it can really easily get away from you. You think, oh, I don't do it that much. And then if you actually start to quantify it, it's like, okay, this is a little a little more than I realized, and maybe I need to reevaluate this relationship exactly or even having a a great friend or like a buddy system like a support like all right let's just be real with each other but then sometimes that can work the other way like i'm doing it you want to do it you want to do another one you want to do another round let's Mm -hmm. do it and then it's like so there's a lot of that now not just alcohol but there's also if you've had a history of chronic pain or overuse of narcotics for pain management. That's so tough. It is. Are you so with the surgery because I know we know with alcohol that metabolism is different. Is it different with the like opioids or anything like that? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, okay. I, so when we look at all types of medications um, and the way that they're absorbed and the way that they're metabolized and the effect in the body, like, for example, do you need to change long acting, extended release, delayed release? I believe the answer is no. I have okay. I, I don't make patients do that. I don't make patients um, increase or decrease doses. For example, the thought is is like, will this be as effective or will it be more effective? I don't think so. I I do think that um, sometimes you just have to be a little bit extra cautious with like birth control, things like that. But the narcotics, I don't don't think so. Now, when it comes to what do I do as as a healthcare provider, as a physician, as a surgeon after surgery, there's pain. And, you know, gosh, I watched this. um, It was, I think it was on Hulu. It was dope sick. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, starring Michael Keaton, and he talked a lot about, um, and it was you know it was based on the family that did I can't I'm blanking on their oh, name the yeah, Sackler family Sackler good job yeah the Sackler family and how they just they kept getting like these blurbs and they kept targeting these physicians to keep prescribing more and more and more of these mega doses and then yeah, it's they safe it's safe it's safe it's so safe it's just so great and then they are like okay and then they peeled off and then they had like oxycontin which is the long acting version and just just oh boy the gateway into heroin and all of that sort of thing and just watching that just gives you so much compassion and empathy that when they someone starts to that first initiation and then experimentation of this substance it's not that anybody wants to be down that road right. you know you just look at people and you're like oh i just it's you can't control it it's just so difficult so if you can don't start it now for myself 
you know, we try to do surgery and we use a lot of um, a local anesthetic. We try to numb numb the areas, numb the muscle underneath to give you some local pain control. There'll be the gas pains. We have you do gas X. We have cymethicone, um, which is gas X or using Tylenol. And then when you're there, you will have a little bit of narcotics, which typically you're in pain. And if you take narcotics for pain, it's it's fine in yeah. their intended use. But, you know, I, I've known to patients who have struggled with it and have even admitted to me, like, I mean, I have a problem, like I'm crushing them and I'm just trying to get them into my system faster. I'm, you know, I'm um, snorting them and, and, and just things like that. And they've experimented with heroin. And that stuff is obviously when you're in like the crisis and you yeah. need to go into some in- intense inpatient rehab. And I think the the first step in doing anything overwhelming like changing your life, whether that be through weight loss surgery or st- trying to kick one of these addictions is just seeking out and saying, I need help. Like, yeah. and there's, and there's, there's a lot of resources, but it's just hard to come to that, that position. Yeah. But, but I think it's the best thing you can do for yourself. It is the best thing you can do for yourself. Absolutely. And, and I hope that if we just help one person to be like, here it is, do it. We'll provide you with resources. Find that, that therapist, that person, that lifeline that will get you through this and know this too. No matter what, you're, this is going to be a day-by-day day thing. That's why there's nothing about bariatric surgery that's easy. As we know, it takes daily commitment mm-hmm. into this. And it it's it's the same thing with food addiction and alcohol addiction, narcotic addiction. Here, it's also having a history of depression or other mood or anxiety disorders, too. And I think a lot, a lot, lot, lot of of. All of us as humans struggle with that. And we're going to be doing um, a three-part series on some of these things coming up. But, you know, I was totally random thought here. Um, I was just at Adele and uh, she was a phenomenal concert. She was just superb, outstanding. And she kept saying like, oh my gosh, I have so much stay fright. I'm so nervous. And, and that's kind of her thing, her openness. And the way she talks and all of that, I'm like, she's an anxious individual. Yeah. But I almost feel like that's on one hand, like it's like sometimes crippling and it's just like you're trying to like soothe the anxiety. And like I said, we'll have a whole show on that. But it's also on the other hand, like your superpower and that like you get things done. I mean, when I'm looking around the room, I, the whole time I was like, this human created this music and did these things. Right. And, and now and then, you know, feelings are meant for feeling. We've talked about that and just being uncomfortable in your own skin sometimes. And how do you... Just keep telling yourself and deep breathe and do other mechanisms other than turning to food or alcohol or narcotics or drugs or something else that's potentially harmful to your body. How do you get through that in another way? Right. Channel it in a positive manner. Totally. Here's another big one. And this is something um, that I think is a lot of these obviously are very specific to the bariatric community. um, And that is lack of adequate support or just feeling lonely and isolated. And that's where I feel like support groups, quite literally, are some people's lifelines. Yeah, because it's somebody that's going through the same thing as you. Of course, everybody has a little variance, but they have gone through the the, all of the getting ready, getting to this point. They may have experienced some of the same addictions previously or had some of the same disordered eating patterns. And then you go through this big life-changing surgery. And I do agree. I think that some people and, – and so it's like maybe you try to talk to your friends or you try to talk to your spouse and they don't get it. No. You know, but these people do. Yeah, they 
they don't get it. I mean, I, I, it's, it is, a, it can be a lonely road. A lot of these things can be a lonely road. I think we, we all feel lonely at times when you're trying to, to change. That's hard. That's really hard. But this other one here, I think is, I think is a, I think this is, I think the bottom underlying thing here, and that is an avoidance of emotions and experiences that will lead you to turn to, again, the isolation feeling recluse. A lot of our patients, like telemedicine has changed the game for us because we're able to now connect with people who might not even feel like, I can't even go outside anymore. Right. We talked about travel um, on one of our recent episodes. And it's something that is just, it just, it, it limits you, but then it also like perpetuates the cycle of. Right. You're at home by yourself or with maybe one person and you yeah you're never leaving and it just it just like it's a spiral it's the best way to put it i think that if you can help it which is obviously not easy but if you can help never drinking by yourself or you know like i'm just gonna like take a pill here and just kind of veg out or i'm just gonna like order this pizza for myself i'll have the like it's hard, especially to be like, well, I don't have any family. I am, you know, I, I don't have a spouse, a partner, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a friend, you know, and that's tough. That's really, yeah. really hard. And I and I can I can get all of that kind of thing. But I think that that's something that you need to, again, feel all the feelings. Yes. And that's that is where it's like starting to look kind of at thinking outside of the box for what could that support person be? You know, maybe you're not having, maybe you are alone at home, but you have somebody that you can FaceTime and they can virtually be there with you while you're doing something or so you're not like you can connect in different ways, kind of just like with the telemedicine, like you have all these other opportunities, you know, join a support group, whether you've had bariatric surgery or not, or you're not even thinking about it, like they are super supportive of anything, (laughs) like such supportive people. Totally. And and if you are in that space and you you feel unsupported, like they can share past experiences with you. You know, see people in these that are 20 years out from bariatric surgery. So they've seen it all and they have a lot to share. Absolutely. And the last one on this list is a history of engaging in self-sabotaging tendencies. I think this one is so important too. Like, what you put out into the universe, what you say, what you think even, like, I suck. Oh, the, I look terrible. I I don't deserve this. I'm dumb. You know, like if the way you even think about money or about um, promotions or about, the, again, your self-image or your worthiness yeah. of having a relationship can make you just be like, oh, well, my body, my temple is not worth taking care of anyway because I'm such a loser. So I might as well just go nuts. Yeah. No, I definitely can see that really being a big trigger. I think so, too. And um, again, the bottom line is addiction does not discriminate. It doesn't at all. Obesity does not discriminate at all. Um, This can truly happen to anyone. And um, there are some signs and symptoms of addictive behavior. So the first thing is if you need more and more and more of that behavior or of that substance. We talked a lot about substance and specific things you're putting into your body. But we didn't really talk about sex addiction. I think in our sex episode, we kind of touched on that a little bit, that that is one that can happen. What about shopping?
shopping. Do you think that's a I, an addiction? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because when that ching ching, whenever uh-huh. that you know, and then you get that high for a second, and then you're again, you're just like you're chasing it. And sometimes people are like, oh gosh. I mean, I'm sure we all know people that are like, oh my gosh, you. They just like live and die for for shopping. Yeah. Well, and I think when your body is changing that much too, you have the opportunity to go and shop and then you're like, oh, I have maybe more options than I did before. Maybe you're able to kind of walk into any store and buy something. And it's like, I've been for 20, 30, 40 years, haven't been able to shop. So it's kind of making up. And then then again, it has that feedback loop of like, well, then I feel good because I have this new thing. So now I want to feel good again. So I'm going to buy more. Uh, absolutely. And influencers don't help. I know. With some of these like brands that yeah. they're – so now they're like influencer brands that are becoming kind of synonymous with the bariatric community, I've mm-hmm. noticed. And we all know who they are. And and it's great because they they do great, especially they, they're super flattering and, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. But if you're like, oh, my gosh, I just spent 500, 600 bucks I don't have. I just, you know, like yeah. constantly splurging, treat yourself. I mean, uh, it's it's tough. It's tough for all those considerations. If you feel like you're using the substance or engaging in that behavior for longer than intended or in higher amounts than desired, other behaviors are things like a gambling addiction. Oh, yeah. That can be a big one. Again, it's just that feedback loop of like, oh, that feels um so good, you know, that whole thing. If you feel like, especially when you're sober or after you made a big purchase or after you ate a huge amount, if you feel like, oh, I have a strong desire that I should not be engaging in this. And I, despite knowing this is not good for me, this is, I'm, I'm going, I'm progressing here. This is getting riskier and it's now becoming harmful to me. I just cannot be successful in my attempts. That means, you know, things are becoming a sort, somewhat of an issue. Right. It's again, it's outside of maybe your your forefront control. It's somewhere back in your brain chemistry that, it's it's gotten to that point that it's kind of crossed over. Yeah, and if it impacts your your social, professional, personal, financial or legal problems related to it. So if you're waking up and like, give me my phone. What did I do? I blacked out last night. Okay. And then if it's like, all right, uh, okay. But if it's like, oh my gosh, this is repeatedly happening. You know, yeah. um, one of my, my favorite patients in Baltimore, she just put a very long post about... You know, just uh, she realized that every time she drank, she didn't remember conversations. She completely blacked out. She would wake up in places that she didn't remember where she fell asleep. She felt out of control. She felt dangerous. She felt like she needed to put it out there um, publicly and share that. That was her way of making herself feel like, okay, I need to get accountable to this. I need to like get in control of this. And like, I know we talk about bravery and all that, but I think that that's not only are you open about your journey on weight loss, but also you're open about this um, this struggle, which is not um, you know it's not specific to you. It is, again, every anyone Any, anyone, anyone can anyone, feel that. Yeah, and it's not talked about as much as some of you know the other other things. I would say, and I don't, and and that's amazing. I hope she's doing well, and I hope she's been able to you know be successful in in getting her herself back on track. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know. The other thing is, too, is some of these things probably are more normalized. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you th- think about the shopping and you see, well, all these people are buying all these things and I should be able to do that or I, I'm going to do that, too. And it's very normal. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's like if you're starting to see too, you know, I think social media can play a big impact in, in some of these things. And if you're starting to notice that people that you follow, that you are invested in, they're starting to have risky behaviors and you're like, it's starting to influence you in that way, like unfollow or hide Great them. Point. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're noticing that, say you have a friend that you know, you guys will go drink for drink, toe for toe, like maybe let's hang out with them in a situation where there is an alcohol mm-hmm. or again, maybe they need to be cut out for a while or potentially forever, depending on, on how they impact your life. But I think really prioritizing yourself, recognizing the signs, the potential issues, you know, am I, am I going down this path and, um, you know, what can I do to, to stop as early as possible? And is this something I need to be, really evaluating and do I need to reach out to a professional? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. You're like removing the cues that get you going. And sometimes it's like the shopping addiction and those sorts of things. I mean, social media is also an addiction in and of itself. Oh, yeah. And that's such a good example. Like when you see is there's somebody that you look at their stuff and they're like, gosh, they look so good. They're so perfect. And that makes you feel, like you said, bad about yourself or it triggers you negatively in any way. Social media is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to yeah. be like, you know, cool. Look at Hannah on her trip to Italy. Like this is great, but it shouldn't make you feel like Hannah on her trip to Italy makes me really upset. Like I I mean, and, and it sometimes, I mean, that's the whole point is like, my life is so perfect. It's so yeah. airbrushed. It's so great. But behind closed doors, I'm like crying. You know, like, yeah. I mean, my life is not easy. And I don't it, see all the pictures of just me and my cats hanging out. I do. Doctor There's a lot of those. Me. There's a lot of those guys. Let me just tell you, I, I, I'll spare you on that one. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, I do think, um, I just think that there is something to be said about everybody experiences lows and everybody, mm-hmm. you know, and the way we deal with these things is 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 really different. And this, how do you try to do deal with those things in a healthy manner? Is what what we really want to hope that we we give you. So if you feel guilt or shame about your behavior, if you feel defensive, if you deny it when other people ask you, if you feel like you're doing it in secrecy, um, you're sneaking things, you know, so that your people that maybe you live with or even when your friends are out, oh, I just this is my first drink. When you know that you you chugged a bottle before you came out, like. Okay, like what am I doing? Who am I? Who am I hiding this from? Am I? Am I being honest with, even with my own self and all this? Do I believing my own BS on this one too? Yeah. And then the behavior or the substance becomes one of the main things that you look forward to. That's the only thing that you're like, get me through this work day. I mean, listen, we all kind of feel that way about certain things in our life. Like, oh my god, it's almost the weekend, and I know what that yeah. means. I mean, the work day is tough. I just feel so stressed right now. Like, I just want to like pop this edge off. But you know, sometimes you have to fight fight through that. And that is something I will say that for myself personally, I have really like I've been off for a few months and I just feel like, no, I'm not going to do anything like that. I'm not going to drink or do anything. I got to just remain just this chapter of my life. Like, I just want to make sure that I feel it and I know it. And I, you know, like clarity of it, clarity of it. Yeah. I don't want to be cloudy. Yeah. I think that's what it is. Like sometimes you just, you think you want to kind of get like blurry, but Sometimes I just know I want to be alert. I want to remember this. And I just, yeah. you know, all that stuff. I mean, I, I could sit, go deep into sit it. Sit in it. Totally. So I would say one one thing to to kind of finish this up is, you know, what are some behaviors that are maybe more of a positive thing that you could turn to when you're feeling this way? Now, 
again, kind of like with orthorexia, you can go too far with a good thing. And the first thing that comes to my mind is exercise. Yes. Because, yes, exercise is a stress reliever. It is good for our bodies. It's good for our hearts. Like proven science that exercise is good for us. But there are absolutely people out there who are addicted to exercise. Mm. I believe it. Oh, definitely. I mean, and, and again, it goes into that, like, if you can't take a day off from exercise without feeling like it's the end of the world, if you can't, you know, if your exercise gets shortened, if you get injured and you're out for a while and it just takes you Mm. down, I think that's a place to really evaluate. But on in general, and for a lot of people, exercise would be a great alternative to some of these things. You know, you get through the work day and it's like, oh, but then you're like, you know what, but now I get to go swim. I love, I get to go and, and do this activity that I enjoy and it's going to give me endorphins. And as in Legally Blonde, she says, endorphins make you happy and happy people just don't kill their was husbands. Was that her defense? Yeah, that was, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that, you know, that is a good one. You know, looking at other kind of hobbies too. If it's that, you know, you binge eat and it's while you're watching TV or something, maybe finding other things to do with your hands, um, being active in like maybe a hobby, going and volunteering, finding other things that are going to give you that dopamine. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're chasing, but make it a more positive thing. Have two kittens that you play with. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, what, she does what not advice. agree on that one. What <laughs> advice, Hannah? But I mean, or even um, something else that I see repeatedly is just to meditate, just mm-hmm. to sing deep within yourself and just be still. Just stop. Be still. This too shall pass. Anxiety is this fear that the worst case scenario will be the most likely scenario. It is not. So don't chase it. Don't run after the bottle. Just be still and go into yourself and you will know the answers that that you need to. I mean, and sometimes that too, that pause, it can stop you from the behavior. Oh, so if you can, if you cannot do it for two minutes, it's like, okay, I cannot, I cannot go and open that bottle of wine. Exactly. No, no, I'm not saying it's that easy. I'm not by any means trying to minimize addiction. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't do it. Just stop. Come yeah, on, come guys. on, guys. <laughs> um, and then, of course, the other thing would be always, 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 if you have any concern, reach out to a mental health professional. Totally. And, um, you know, there's there's resources online. There's different people out there. We'll try to get some people to, together to share with you when this comes out and um, so that you can have a place to go that if you feel like, even if it's the beginning, even if you're like, I'm just, I'm just starting to think this might maybe potentially be a problem, read into it. Always, you know, I like to say, always explore your doubt about something. Mm. And if you're starting to doubt yourself on something, reach out or to, even to your surgical team and and they might have some some advice or be able to talk you through it. Yeah. And if you are still pre-op and you're like, oh, gosh, I'm really worried about this. And you just heard some of the risk factors. You heard some of the signs and the symptoms of it. I think that you should really... If you if you kind of know that, like, again, you drank alcohol beforehand and then you know that you're stopping and you're like, I'm feeling better, I'm losing weight, all is good. Really? I always think, like, especially in our program, we, we do recommend that people be away from alcohol for the whole first year. And that is not an arbitrary feat. So if you actually do it for the first year, so it's sort of like Forrest Gump, why stop running? Just keep on right. going. Like, why why pick it up? Like, um, I don't know. I think that – I think if you can – avoid it and it's not necessary, don't go there. Don't start it again. Yeah. I know. And a lot of things like, I mean, we talk about it all the time, but I 
was addicted to cherry Coke, I just tell myself, no, you're not going to do it again. If you quit smoking, try it. Like, just don't. If you got past that, those first few days of like cravings and going, Mm -hmm. you know, almost physically nuts about it, then it's just if you push through, like, honestly, like the low carb diet too, like, why reincorporate it? You know, it's like, It's tough, but so if you can't help it, try not to do it. But, um, and then the one final thing is just as much as you love getting support, if you see somebody else is struggling out there, go in those support groups and put your comments, your experiences, because you don't know that what you write might actually help them. And then in the process, you saved yourself too. Yep. So absolutely. Just be like, I'm strong. I'm going to type on Facebook all night. And there you go. There you go. Yep. And embrace your community. Totally. Engage with them. All right. Well, as always, if you have any other follow-up questions or concerns, you are f- welcome to reach out to us on Instagram at Dr. X Dietitian, um, or check us out at our website, drxdietitian.com. Make sure you sign up for our mailing list so you get all of our episode guides and all of our goodies. And if you are struggling, please reach out to a mental health professional. Yeah, message us if you need it too. We are here for you on, and we re- respond to our DMs on Instagram. All right, bye guys. Have a wonderful week.